It was uh, on August 28th, August 28th, that thousands of citizens of Trenton, New Jersey, decided in mass to break the law. Their crime? On that Sunday in 1921, 18,000 people spent 50 cents and went to the movies. Feature presentation that day was The Old Nest, billed as, quote, a picture that presents the most beautiful and the most sacred of all things, a mother's love. Ah. How in the world could going to that movie break the law? And what would they say about me going to see Star Wars on Christmas Day? Well, Trenton, New Jersey had on its books, along with uh, most other cities along the eastern seaboard, a, a law that made, quote, dancing, singing, fiddling, or other music for the sake of merriment illegal on Sundays. You perhaps know them as the Sunday Blue Laws. Well, nothing happened on that fateful uh, August 28th. One week later, on September 4th, 65 sheriff's deputies patrolled the city's 10 movie theaters, and then when films began playing, managers, cashiers, and receptionists, receptionists were promptly arrested. The crowds were told to go home. In the end, those arrested had to pay a $1 fine and promise not to show movies on Sundays anymore. And they didn't until 12 years later when the Sunday blue laws were repealed. What was the problem with showing movies on Sundays? Well, that was considered amusement, and you can't pay for amusement on Sunday. But again, why, you might ask? Well, because. Well, this is Sunday is a holy day. It's the Christian Sabbath. It's the Lord's Day. It's a day of rest. We should not go to the movies on Sunday, nor should we watch TV, work, or play sports. You can't wash your car. You can't even shovel the snow. You can't mow the lawn. Most of you grew up thinking of sun, uh, Sunday as a rather solemn day when doing anything fun was prohibited. How many of you remember that growing up? Yeah, those of us over a certain age. It was basically a you can't do anything day, a day when you were more likely as a kid to get in trouble. There's much confusion even today about Sundays and the, the Sabbath. A few years ago, we held the Franklin Graham Festival 2000 right here on the campus of ASU and the football stadium. During that three-day crusade, over 40,000 people showed up, and almost 900 people made first-time professions of faith in Jesus Christ. It was incredible. Churches in the community were invited to participate, and most did. However, I remember one that chose not to, one which actually sees the seventh day of the week, Saturday, as the Sabbath, as critically important. Interestingly, while they chose not to participate in the stadium, when we came out of the stadium that day, went to our cars, there on our windshields was a magazine, not a track, mind you, an entire magazine um, that dealt with this particular topic. Apparently, this particular group thought that the most important thing for these 900 new believers to understand was the importance of the Sabbath. Among Christian denominations, there is disagreement as to whether believers are bound to observe the, the Sabbath. Many do view Sunday, 
the first day of the week as the Christian Sabbath. How many of you have ever heard that before? Sunday is the Christian Sabbath, right. A day that has superseded the Jewish Sabbath, which was the seventh day of the week, actually Saturday. Now, in, in Acts chapter 20, it appears that the church did meet on this, the first day of the week, on Sunday. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul instructed believers to bring their offerings uh, on the first day of, of the week. In, in Revelation chapter 1, the apostle John refers to the first day of the week as, as the Lord's day. Justin Martyr, who lived right after the apostles, said that uh, the, the church uh, met and gave their offerings on the first day of the week. There is ample support for the idea that the church meets on Sundays. Whew, good for us. That's not the issue. The questions really this morning are these. Are we still bound to obey the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath, and keep it holy? Are we? If so, how do we observe it? You said, well, we do it on Sundays. Well, is Sunday the Christian Sabbath? And if it is, what does that mean? No movies? No bowling? And if it isn't, what does Sabbath rest mean to believers, to Christians? You see, that last question is a very critically important one for us today, one which I think gets to the very heart of the matter. What is Sabbath rest for believers in Jesus? I think there is a ton of confusion out there about this. And as we answer the question, I, I think rather than be discouraged, what had become the onerous demands of the Jewish Sabbath, we're going to talk about that, you will be you will be encouraged by the rest that you already have. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Uh, while you're turning, let me remind you where we are in our ongoing study of this particular book. Mark has made clear that his objective is to demonstrate that Jesus is the Christ. That was the, that was the opening verse. Jesus is the Christ, the, the Son of God. And he has been proving this in a number of different ways through, through Jesus' fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, through His divine introduction by the Father, through His opposition from the forces of evil to include Satan himself, through His teaching with authority unlike anyone else, through His amazing miracles, and, and through His authority to forgive sins. And as a result, with this ongoing, increasing revelation came rising opposition. With his popularity, uh, while his popularity with the people increased, so did resistance from the religious establishment. In fact, we are looking at five specific stories in a row that Mark tells us that describe this rising opposition. The first had to do with his audacity to forgive the sins of the paralytic. Remember that at the beginning of the chapter? Who can, who can forgive sins but God exactly? Exactly. The second story had to do with the call of Matthew, a tax collector, and the subsequent party when Jesus ate and drank in the house with tax collectors and sinners. How can you do that? Well, after all, he didn't come to call the righteous. He came to call sinners into his kingdom. The third had to do with fasting. Actually, the fact that Jesus and his disciples were not 
Fasting spiritual people fast. And, and Jesus used this confrontation to subtly teach the truth that he had come to bring something altogether new. He came to bring a new wine. He, he came to bring the glorious truth of the new covenant, and it would never fit into the, into the old system of Judaism, but particularly what they had made it. And so those who opposed him were becoming more and more irritated, more vocal with their hostility. They began questioning, badgering, spying on him, trying to catch him in some inconsistency, trying to to show how he violated their particular understanding of the Old Testament law. This opposition is going to continue to increase until we get to the very end of the book. We're going to see it rising, and they'll finally put him to death. You see, we're beginning to understand that the religious establishment of Jesus' day, well, they didn't get it. They had created onerous rules to be observed if you want to be spiritual, and none was more important than the Sabbath. And so the fourth and fifth stories and the stories we're looking at have to do, of course, with the Sabbath, eating on the Sabbath. Eating on the Sabbath of all things. We look at that today. And then healing on the Sabbath, Lord willing, next, next week. You see, that day, the Sabbath, intended to bring rest and renewal, had become an overwhelming weight. People were spiritually exhausted, trying to meet the demands of this external, meaningless, self-righteous, made-up System And so in the midst of all of that, Jesus shows up and, well, he, he offers rest to those who were weary and, and heavy laden. Those who had tried and, and failed miserably to meet the demands of this self-righteous religious system of the day. <laughs> Jesus shows up and, and to these exhausted people, he says, come to me. All you who are weary and, and heavy laden, and I, will, and I will give you rest. Not only for your bodies, but for your souls. This is, the message that I, this is the message that I have for you this morning. You can actually find rest in Jesus. It's exactly what the Sabbath pointed to, you see. The Pharisees had messed it up. They had made Sabbath-keeping such a difficult task that, that no one found rest, neither for their bodies nor for their souls. It is this abuse that, that Jesus addresses in, in the text before us today. And in doing so, he, he actually teaches us what true Sabbath rest is. The, the fact is that the, the, the Pharisees, much like, well, a lot of people today, didn't understand what the Sabbath was all about. We're going to find in our passage that Jesus... Well, he takes them to task. He pegs them not just for their, not just for their rules in, in keeping the Sabbath, much more than that. They missed the point of Sabbath altogether. They put the Sabbath over the people, and it became this oppressive weight. And so Jesus offered them, and he offers you today, the Sabbath rest. Uh, look at the text with me, uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 23, to the end of the chapter, uh, say this. And, and it happened that he was 
passing through the grain fields, Jesus passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain, horror of horrors. And, and the Pharisees were saying to them, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in, in need and, and he and his companions became hungry, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and, and he ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And, and he also gave it to those who were with him. And Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. You've switched it around. Not only that, son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. This is, that, that last verse is, is, is incredible. It's insignificant. David could, could violate the, the law, if you will, by eating the, the showbread, we, many of us call it, yet he could keep the intent of, of the law. And, and, and Jesus says David's greater son, the Messiah, could, why he could even violate violate the, the Sabbath and yet still keep the intent of the Sabbath because He is indeed Lord of the Sabbath. This is a significant declaration of who Jesus is. You see, it's continuing in, in Mark's theme. Uh, Jesus is the very Son of God. I, I need to do some teaching uh, this morning, so you're going to have to uh, stick with me. Uh, I have the following three things that I want us to look at. First, we're going to we're going to start by looking at what the Old Testament Sabbath really was, and then we're going to look at the text to see how the, the, the Pharisees abused uh, uh, the Sabbath, and then we're going to look to see how we as believers observe a Sabbath rest, that is the New Testament Sabbath. And, and, and immediately you might look at that and go, oh, okay, now wait a minute, is there a difference between the Old Testament Sabbath and the New Testament Sabbath? Not Not really. Not really. But, but we're going to find out that Jesus actually becomes the fulfillment uh, of Sabbath rest. And I promise if you hang in there till the end, I think that you will be encouraged uh, this morning. So let's start with this Old Testament Sabbath. Just what in the world was it? The word in the Greek is the word sabbaton, and it literally means to cease or, or to rest. And now where did this the whole Sabbath thing come from anyway. Well, most of us know back in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, we read about the creation of the world. And in what I believe was six literal days, we read that God created the heavens and the earth and, and everything in them. And at the end of chapter 1, we, we saw God, don't miss this, He kind of sit back as it were with a big smile on His face as He observed everything that He had, had made. He saw that it was all very, very good. And, and, and so by the time we get to chapter 2, God had finished His creative works, and we read this in Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed His work which He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. And the then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which, which God had created and made. And there you have it, the, the, the very first seventh day, the very first Sabbath. Did you know that the very first seventh day in existence was actually a Sabbath? It was blessed and sanctified. That means it was supposed to be a happy it was supposed to be a happy and, and holy day. It was supposed to be a good day. I mean, no, 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 let, me, let me ask you just... A question, why did God rest on the seventh day? Why did he do that? Oh, he, was he tired? N needed, needed a day off? 
We're talking about God here. Uh, Of course not. The very definition of omnipotence, uh, having all power, is that God has the power to do the sum total of all things at one time. He was not tired. He didn't need a day off. He rested because, you see, he was finished. This was an it is finished rest. His work was done. He was able to sit back, rest in the completeness and goodness of his creation. So let me give you just a little, pull back the covers and give you just a little bit of a preview. When Jesus finished his work, he said, it is finished. And he sat down and rested, you see, at the right hand of the Father. And Jesus has become our Sabbath rest. He finished it for us. Roll the clock forward a few thousand years after creation. It wasn't until God gave the law on Mount Sinai that we see Him demanding that we, humanity, observe a Sabbath. It was in Exodus chapter 20 when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. There we read these words in the fourth of those Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days, literal days, you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is is a Sabbath of the Lord. In it you shall not work, you or your sons or your daughter, your, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourners who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea that is all, all that is in them. And He rested, God Himself rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed in the Sabbath day and made it holy. He blessed. It's supposed to be a good day. And you should know that this is actually the longest of the Ten Commandments. That becomes important here in a little bit. But what was the purpose of the Sabbath? Just because the Jews needed a day off? They were tired? Kind of like this becomes the first labor law so workers can be abused and work seven days a week. Maybe I think that's a byproduct. See, the purpose was rest. It was a Sabbath, don't miss this, to the Lord your God. On that seventh day, the people were to cease from their work, and they were to rest in God. It's important that we understand this. If we just see, get this, if we just see Sabbath simply as a cessation of labor, then we'll become like Pharisees and come up with all kinds of things that you cannot do, like go to the movies. You don't do that. Christians don't do that. And so then Christians like Pharisees are, have become known as people who don't do lots of really fun stuff. If we focus on the prohibition rather than the command to rest in God, we'll miss it. You see, Sabbath means we sit back, as it were, to observe all that God is and all that He has done and simply say, is God not good? That's the point. And here's that sneak preview again. It's supposed to be a picture pointing to the glorious rest that we would one day get in Jesus. The rest that many of you have right now. So stop working. So much like God rested from his labor to enjoy his handiwork, the Jews were 
or to rest from their labor and rest in the presence of God. But the Jews missed the point altogether. And from this point on in Israel's history, uh, the Sabbath became the apex central to all of their laws. It was the pinnacle of their observance. They reasoned, I suppose, that since it was the longest of the commandments, that it deserved most of their attention. And so they write, they, they wrote more about Sabbath observance than anything else. In fact, later in the Mishnah and the Talmud, which are, well, they're old commentaries on the Old Testament, we find literally thousands of laws written about what it means to observe the Sabbath, which leads to our second point, the the abuse, the abuse of Sabbath. Jews to the present day see the observance of the Sabbath as the most important thing that they can do, and, and, and that meant for them no work at all. You see, it's what we can't do. Well, what's work? Glad you asked. They spent centuries to the present day defining what work was. Let me give you a few examples. And just so you know, I'm going to give you lots of examples, and you're going to become exhausted exactly. They missed it. On a national scale, the apocryphal book, uh, that means a book that was written between Malachi and Matthew, uh, the apocryphal book of 1 Maccabees tells us of an incident during the time of Judas Maccabeus. Uh, A group of Jews refused at this particular time to defend themselves against a Greek army led by Antiochus Epiphanes. Why did they refuse to defend themselves? Because the battle actually fell on the Sabbath. As a result, a thousand men, women, and children were slaughtered. (laughs) But we didn't fight on the Sabbath. Good for you. You're dead. Later, Josephus records the fall of Jerusalem to the Roman general General Pompey. He suggested it was the victory, the loss for the Jews was in part due to the Sabbath. You see, the Roman army built a siege ramp against the city walls, but they only worked on it on the Sabbath, knowing that they could do so with no uh, resistance. As a result, the ramp was built. Jerusalem fell. Kept the Sabbath, good for you. You're now captives. On a personal level, there were laws governing everything that you did. For example, you were only allowed to travel about 1,000 yards, that's 3,000 feet, away from your house on the Sabbath. Uh, Under Sabbath laws, a Jew could not carry a load heavier than a dried fig. That's not very much. Uh, But if it weighed half as much as a fig, you could carry it twice. You've got to know these laws. Uh, you, you could not eat anything larger than an olive, which means uh, bef- Friday before the Sabbath, you need to prepare your food because you don't want to overwork your teeth. A tailor was advised to put down his needle a half hour before sunset, lest he inadvertently carry it on the Sabbath. You see, carrying any instrument required for work was, for work was strictly forbidden. Throwing an object in the air with one hand and catching it with the other, forbidden. I have no idea why, just Forbidden. Baths could not be taken on the Sabbath. Why? You might drip some water on the floor, and if you bend over to pick it up, you're cleaning the floor. Chairs could not be moved on the Sabbath, because if you drag them across the floor, you may make a furrow in the ground and thus be plowing. Women were forbidden to look in a mirror. Only women. Why? Because they might see a gray hair and be tempted to pull it out. Forbidden. Of course, there could be no, ready, buying, selling, sowing, plowing, reaping, grinding, binding, baking, threshing, winnowing, sifting, dyeing, shearing, spinning, kneading, tying, or untying. Are you exhausted? You're supposed to be, you see. 
I'm just getting started. Even today, Orthodox Jews continue their extreme observance of the Sabbath. To open a refrigerator door on the Sabbath, you must first disconnect the interior light before the Sabbath. Why? You can't disconnect it during the Sabbath. That would be work. You must do it before the Sabbath. Why? Because Exodus 35 says you shall not kindle a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Turning a light comes under the category of kindling. Letting warm air into the refrigerator also poses a problem because that will cause the compressor to activate before it would otherwise do so. You're causing something else to work. Can't do that. Sabbath violation. Therefore, you install a timer to run the compressor at set intervals rather than a thermostat. Another proposed solution, however, is make sure that you open the door when the compressor is already running. So you're standing there, you're just waiting. Buddy, come on, I'm hungry. A Jewish doctor is allowed to care for patients, but only those terminally ill. I guess you can get an ox out of a ditch, but only those terminally ill patients. But if the doctor does have to suspend Sabbath rules for a higher principle, such as the care for the terminally ill, he must do so with the least possible intrusion into Sabbath laws. I hope you're taking notes. In fact, one must perform any act that would otherwise transgress the Sabbath in an unusual manner to thus acknowledge the Sabbath. For example, a doctor may drive on the Sabbath if he must go to an emergency, but he should start the engine by turning the key with two fingers rather than the regular thumb and finger, thus acknowledging the Sabbath. And when he gets to where he is going, he should keep the motor running because it is not necessary to turn off the engine in order to save a life. If a doctor has to write, he must do so with his left hand, left hand if he is right-handed and vice versa. Using the minim, min, minimum number of words possible, he must sign with his initials and not with his full name. A nurse or doctor applying an antiseptic to the skin on the Sabbath must use a non-absorbent swab as opposed to a cotton swab, which could absorb the medication and thus presumably be classified as dying. Are you ready to die yet? Are, are you getting tired? You say, okay, okay, we get it, move on. No! You are just starting to get it. There were thousands of rules just like the eight or ten that I just read. And you are weary just listening to them. Try living them. There were 24 chapters in the Talmud. 24 chapters in the Talmud addressing Sabbath restrictions. And it is said that it would take the average rabbi two and a half years to master one chapter. Do the math over 50 years just to figure out what you could do and what you could not do. Are you exhausted? You should be. That's what the Sabbath, after all, was for, right? And all of that legalism, they missed the point. They missed that Sabbath was intended for you to rest in God. They were to, supposed to celebrate His goodness on their behalf. And as a result of all of those regulations, the Sabbath, far from being a day of rest, had become an incredible day of burden. It was a day of oppressive frustration and, and anxiety. The best day of the week had become the worst day. The day of rest had become harder than a day of work. The happy day had become a gloomy day. It became the you-can't-do-anything day. Kids were really excited that it was Sabbath. The people were exhausted by the system. They had become weary and heavy laden. Which brings us to our third point in our text. Finally, don't worry, I'm almost done, where Jesus deals with the true meaning of the Sabbath. The story begins with Jesus and His disciples 
making their way through the grain fields. We're not told where they were going or how long they had traveled, whether it was under or over a thousand yards. Those were unimportant details. What we do see is the disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat them. Now, you need to understand that eating grain along the path was not a problem. This was permitted, you see, according to Deuteronomy chapter 23. I will tell you a little story. When Tan and I got ready to move here from Colorado, we're passing through the beautiful wheat fields of, uh, of Kansas. She was raised in, in, in a wheat farm in uh, Montana, and she asked me to stop. And we could you just stop and pick a few grains of wheat that I can put into display when we get to, when we get to Boone? And I said, sure, I'd be happy to. I'd be sure and tell that, that uh, armed uh, uh, farmer, hey, Deuteronomy chapter 23 says I can do this. I, I, I didn't stop. The issues the Pharisees had was not that they were stealing. They weren't stealing grain. The issues that the Pharisees had were they were picking the grain. That's reaping. They were rubbing the grain together in their hands. That's threshing. They were blowing away the chaff. That's winnowing. And they were, no doubt, while they were rubbing the grain, some of it was breaking up. That's grinding. In short, the disciples, as far as the Pharisees were concerned, were working in many different ways and thus violating the Sabbath. They were eating Let me make one thing perfectly clear. Jesus, in his response, was not, he was not allowing a violation of the Sabbath. Okay? He was not reducing the demands of the law. He kept the law. I want to be very clear about this. Jesus never broke the law, but he delighted in breaking the tradition of the elders because they didn't get it. Fact is, there was nothing wrong with eating on the Sabbath. The disciples were not doing anything wrong. They were not breaking the Sabbath. The issue was that the Pharisees were too rigorous in their observance of the Sabbath. The, the, the issue was they didn't understand Sabbath at all, and Jesus now takes them to task. He begins by chiding the Pharisees for their lack of biblical knowledge. He says to them in verse 25, have you never read? Stop right there. These were supposed to be the custodians of the law. He looks at them and says, haven't you ever read the Bible? This would have irritated them just a bit. And from there, Jesus gives some very important truths about Sabbath. This is what I need you to catch today. First, the Sabbath was never intended to keep from meeting needs. The disciples were hungry. There was food, and they ate it. This was not a violation of the Sabbath. Not only that, Jesus takes it a step further, and it's very important that we understand what he is doing here. He gives the example of David and his companion going into the house of God, the tabernacle at this time, not the temple, but the tabernacle, and they ate the consecrated bread. Again, you perhaps know it as the show bread or the bread of presence. Every week, the priests baked 12 new loaves of bread, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. They placed it in the tabernacle. The bread, you see, this is important. The bread represented the provision of God. Far be it from us to ever receive the provision of God. After they placed the new bread in the tabernacle, the priests and they alone were allowed to eat the week-old bread. But on this particular occasion, David and his companions ate because they were hungry. And yet neither they nor the high priests were condemned for it. And so Jesus said, what are you going to do with that? What, what is Jesus saying? Why, when asked about the Sabbath, does he talk about David eating bread? 
that there's no indication that they ate the bread on the Sabbath. The point is this. He's emphasizing the truth that not only the Sabbath, but the entire sacrificial system was not supposed to keep people from meeting needs. Eating bread, you understand, was not a moral issue. Frankly, working on the Sabbath, this is going to blow some of your categories. Working on the Sabbath is not a moral issue. Both of these things were part of were not part of the moral law. They were part of the ceremonial sacrificial system, a system God never intended to keep us from meeting needs. God's people will never be known by what we don't do. By our external observance of some code of laws, they will be known by what we do do in meeting people's needs. The second, very subtle, but most important point that Jesus is making is this. The bread, the Sabbath, the entire sacrificial and ceremonial system was a picture pointing to Christ. All of it. Did, did, did you notice when you came in this morning, we don't have 12 loaves of bread sitting up here that none of you can eat? Did you notice that we don't have up here a lamb that we're going to sacrifice at the end of our service? We don't have to. It's been fulfilled in Jesus. You see, Jesus is the bread of life. If we eat, we will never hunger again. Jesus is the water of light. If life, if we drink, we will never thirst again. And when we come to faith in Jesus, he becomes, he becomes our ultimate sacrifice. We don't do sacrifices anymore. When we come to faith in Jesus, we rest in him. He becomes the fulfillment of Sabbath rest. We rest in Him. Again, it's why we don't have baked loaves of bread here. It's why the command to observe the Sabbath is not repeated in the New Testament under the New Covenant. Did you know that? Nine of the Ten Commandments are moral laws. They're repeated, they're affirmed, they're repeated in the New Testament. The, 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 the command to obey the Sabbath is not repeated in the New Testament, sort of. It is affirmed in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 11, when Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There it is. It's what the Sabbath pointed to. Take my yoke upon you. Not the yoke of the law. You can't keep the law anyway. Not the yoke of these legalistic Pharisees. Take my yoke, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. He's the fulfillment of the law. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to go into the book of Hebrews, Lord willing, after we eventually finish Mark. I can't wait. But Hebrews chapter 4 says this. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. See, I knew it. There is a Sabbath right here for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. <laughs> Do you see? There does remain a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That Sabbath rest is found in Jesus. We cease from our, from our works just like God rested from his. 
We no longer seek to work to earn salvation. We find Sabbath rest in Jesus. Do we do that on Saturdays? You bet. Do we do it on Sundays? Absolutely. We do it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday too. Jesus has become our Sabbath rest. The Old Testament Sabbath points to the ultimate rest that believers find in Jesus. So, are believers supposed to observe an Old Testament Sabbath? Let me answer the question very clearly, unequivocally, no. No. Not unless you want to keep the entire ceremonial and sacrificial system too. Is then Sunday, is it it the Christian Sabbath? Well, one-seventh. No, the Sabbath is merely a picture pointing to Christ. And so, my brothers and sisters, we have the real thing. We have entered the rest of Jesus. We can cease from our works of self-righteousness, and we can rest in Christ, who he is and what he's done for us. This is what Sabbath rest is all about. And so the Sabbath was made for man, and not the other way around. We are not under the, the, the onerous demands of Sabbath. We're not even under the picture of the Sabbath, as if the Sabbath is supreme. No, the, the Sabbath was, was made for man to point us to the Sabbath rest that we will have in Jesus. And, and Jesus actually incredibly says, and so the Son of Man, Jesus himself is Lord of the Sabbath. He's Lord. Who, who made the Sabbath? The, the Lord did. Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, a clear declaration of deity. More than that, he is saying, listen, I I am the Lord of your Sabbath. I'm your Lord who gives you rest. I'm talking about rest this morning. Jesus has become our Sabbath rest, and some of you perhaps are exhausted Trying to keep all the Christian rules, right? Uh, All the things that you need to do instead of focusing on who you are and what Christ has done for you. Can I encourage you this morning? I said, if you just stick with me to the very end, I think I'd have some incredibly good news. Can I just encourage you to rest in Jesus? Weary, heavy laden, rest. You have Christ. Now, I know some of you are going, what in the world are you talking about? If you tell them to rest, they will. They'll get slack in their obedience, and they won't do anything. We won't have enough Awana workers. We won't have enough children's ministry workers. We won't have enough life group leaders. We won't have life groups. Nothing could be further from the truth. Resting in Jesus does not present negotiable obedience and optional service. Quite the opposite. You see, once you have entered his rest, it compels you to obey, to to, to meet needs, to, to serve God, to love God, to show mercy. And you will find in Christ that you now have a newfound ability that you never had before. You see, under the provisions of the new covenant, you now have the Holy Spirit living in you. And and, and work you will, but you will rest. Seven days a week, 365 days a year. This is the Sabbath rest that Jesus came to bring, where we sit back and we look at all that he is and all that he has done, and we say, isn't he good? That's Sabbath rest.
His yoke is easy. His burden, it's light.